T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. He is no stranger to city government having been a part of it and the Chicago schools for years before this. Now Paul Vallis has put his campaign into full speed, and it's time for us to catch up with the man running for mayor. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Former Chicago Public Schools CEO Paul Vallis kicked off his campaign for mayor over a week ago, and he entered a field that's as crowded as you usually see when there's no incumbent in the race. But there's a perception, at least, that Mayor Emanuel is vulnerable for several reasons, and my guest this week is one of the reasons why this may be the political fight of Rahm Emanuel's life. Paul Vallis was budget director under former Mayor Richard M. Daley. Then he was tapped as the first Chicago Public Schools CEO after Daly was given primary control over the schools in 1995. He kept that job until 2001 when he and the mayor had a uh, parting of the ways. Later, he headed school districts in New Orleans, Bridgeport, Connecticut, and Philadelphia. He has run for governor and lieutenant governor, and now he is trying to unseat Mayor Emanuel, and he is here. Paul Vallis, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Um, Now, when you launched your campaign, you said the city is in deep trouble the uh, others who are running in this race have pretty much all said the same thing and that each has what it takes to get things back under control and moving again. How does anyone rise above the crowd when you have such diverse backgrounds, <clears throat> talents, and in some cases constituencies among you? Well, uh, I think what's going, going to enable me to rise above the crowd is are the are my solutions. And my approach towards... Um, dealing with the critical issues that ail the city is, is to really offer the type of specificity that one would offer if he or she just got elected mayor and they were bringing their proposals before the city council. So, so I'm going to do that on public safety. In fact, I'm going to do that on Monday beginning, and then I'm going to follow that uh, with, um, with a similar presentation on how to address the issue of uh, uh, displaced adults in the community, the 17 to 40 year olds who are either ex offenders or TANF recipients or, chronically unemployed, uh, et cetera. And, and I will also have a, uh, present uh, a, uh, a, a policy uh, presentation on, uh, on uh, comprehensive school reform. I'll do one on pensions. I'll do one on infrastructure. So I, I think the objective is to take like a week and focus on a specific issue. What are the problems? What are the solutions? And how do you pay for them? And I want to offer that type of specificity because that's been the approach that I've always taken. And I believe if I do that, that will distinguish me from the pack. But don't you worry that when you do get specific, some people in the public, many people in the public who have now been uh, raised on campaigns that revolve around attack ads and snappy one-liners and taglines might have their eyes glaze over when somebody actually wants to not only talk about the issues, but talk about them very in very a very detailed way. Well, you know, I, let me respond by saying I, I have never felt that 
that I needed to be condescending to the public. Um, you know, my press conference was an hour. I answered questions for 47 minutes. Uh, and, and, and I gave substantive answers to the questions that were posed to me. Uh, at the end of the day, um, in every executive job I've had, uh, I've always been very transparent and very open and very detailed in explaining what I was trying to do and how I was trying to do it. And, uh, you know, I've always been able to have great success because I believe that's the public does not want to be condescended to. They're they're worn out with the cliches or the, you know, the uh, or the kind of broad, broad policy statements with no specifics. I think, you know, the key for me is going to be able to get the time, obviously get the airtime, get the media time, um, have the forums to be able to communicate to people. Uh, and uh, and and uh, I believe that that if I can clearly identify what my specific proposals are uh, and then provide a lot of detail to back it up, at the very least, people will come away from that presentation or from that discussion uh, with a sense that, when I'm offering our real solutions and I've provided the, the detail to support those solutions, uh, you know, I also intend to literally visit every, every, every neighborhood. I've already begun to do that. I've already, you know, I, I'm going to be attending CAPS meetings, block clubs, et cetera. I'm going to be uh, uh, visiting uh, 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 um, faith-based institutions on uh, virtually every Sunday. I'm going to do what I did when I was superintendent of Chicago public schools. When I was superintendent of Chicago public schools, I visited 440 schools and with the exception of the high schools where you can't, it's impossible to visit every classroom. I would walk and visit every classroom and introduce myself to every teacher in every classroom, meet the kids, et cetera. I mean, it's that type of grassroots campaign that I'm going to run. And, and it's going to be me in every neighborhood uh, attending meetings every night and, and not only listening to what people have to say, but of equal importance, answering questions, answering questions, responding to, uh, responding to what what they're seeking uh, uh, and answering questions about what I have to offer. And I think if I do that, if I, if I take that grassroots approach, I believe I'll be successful. Um, the latest candidate to enter the fray uh, is uh, former federal prosecutor Lori Lightfoot, who comes in with uh, a background in criminal justice. Uh, she headed the Chicago Police Board and the Mayor's Police Accountability Task Force. Uh, does this growing roster of rivals, and we expect it could grow one or two more Probably. before we're all over. Does it fracture the field uh, for people who are against Rahm Emanuel? It's, it's, it's almost, doesn't it in some ways guarantee that you're going to scatter the opposition and that it's going to be really a battle for first, uh, excuse me, second place. Well, you know, it was funny because uh, the mayor spokesman, and you always hear from the mayor spokesman, uh, had uh, made the comment uh, when um, Lori Lightfoot uh, announced that, you know, that we, we're all running to be in the runoff. He, he almost, <laughs> it was almost an admission that Rom's going to be in a runoff. I, I believe the mayor's going to be in a runoff. The question is, who's he going to be in a runoff with? Uh, I think my chances are very good to be that person. Uh, you know, I'd like to win in the first round. I'm certainly going to work very hard to win in the first round. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I don't care how many, um, you know, I don't think having this many candidates in the race gives them any sort of advantage. Uh, I think what it does for the public is really offer kind of a diversity of, of ideas and solutions. And some other candidates will be more detailed than others. But this needs to be an election about solutions. It needs to be a, an election uh, uh, on 
that's substantive in terms of, of a, dis, a serious discussion about the issues facing the city and how we're going to approach uh, uh, addressing those issues. And I think having this this large number of candidates and particularly the caliber of candidates that we have in the race, I, I think that's what the public's going to get. That's what they want. That's what they're going to receive. Now, for someone uh, that you say people don't like, Mayor Emanuel is getting a lot of donations. Uh, he's reportedly raised almost $3 million, and that uh, figure is climbing. Uh, you think you'll need at least $3 million. Uh, where are the donors going to come from? Uh, and does having a fundraising, you know, an experienced fundraiser like the mayor start to dry up some of the sources for rival candidates? Well, look, clearly the mayor's strategy is not to run on his record, but to kind of not scare candidates out of the race because I don't think his fundraising prowess is going to scare me out of the race. Lori Lightfoot, uh, McCarthy, Wilson, uh, none of us are going to be scared out of the race, uh, I don't believe. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to scare people from giving us contributions. You see what I mean? Because, look, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I've run into more individuals who basically said, I'd like to give to you, but I can't. I'm afraid. I'm afraid Rahm Emanuel's going to retaliate. Uh, you know, classic case in point. I mean, the uh, paramedics uh, uh, in the fire, the fire department, they, they supported Chewy Garcia. It's going on four years. They're still waiting for their new ambulances. They're still waiting for the new ambulances. I mean, <laughs> you know, they're still working with old equipment, basically because there was retaliation against them. Uh, it, you know, uh, there were there was retaliation against them because they supported Chewy. So at the end of the day, there's a lot of people intimidated. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm not worried about that because I believe that I'll be able to raise enough money in Chicago. And I've done work in many places. Uh, you know, I've, I've been involved in raising money for all sorts of causes over the years. So there are people who are not going to be intimidated by Rahm Emanuel and and are not going to be and are not going to be afraid to. Uh, to uh, um, support my campaign. But, you know, if uh, if my success or failure is going to be driven by money, then I'm not much of a candidate. I mean, I believe that my success will be uh, will, will be driven by the fact that um, I will be able to get enough attention to my very specific solutions to the problems that ail the city and to my uh, spending time every day in the neighborhoods, attending the meetings that the mayor won't attend, the CAFs meetings, the block club meetings, the community meetings, Doing it, you know, the mayor has his own podcast. I basically said, I'll do anyone's podcast. I, I want every podcast to be my podcast. So I will go out there and try to communicate both in the traditional ways and non-traditional ways to the public uh, to, uh, to, um, to uh, introduce myself to people who may not be familiar with my background, but also to, uh, to um, reacquaint myself with individuals who, who know my history and, and know a little something about my tenure as uh, um, budget director and school district CEO. But are you comfortable that you will be able to get your message out, not just with the retail politicking, but you're going to have to go on television, aren't you? Well, we will go on television, but there's multiple ways uh, to reach the public. As you well know, uh, Mm -hmm. it's a diversified uh, it, it's a diversified media market. It's a, there, there are all sorts of ways to communicate with people. And, uh, you know, so I think we'll have a very effective strategy, but if you're asking whether or not, I'll ra- look, my goal is to raise between three to $5 million. I'm, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be able to raise that. Um, when we have 
ask the mayor about uh, or or his campaign, and those are sometimes two different things, uh, about this field. Uh, the response has been that this lineup of challengers is like a political improv show, auditioning cast members, I believe was the quote, while the mayor is focused on improving schools, making straight streets safer, and bringing jobs to every Chicago neighborhood. Well, look, that's what's going on. <laughs> you know, he's going to say he's going to try to say clever things, you know, and 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 because he can't respond uh, with uh, by presenting his record of accomplishments because it's been a record that's lacking. Look, we have more murders in the city than Chicago and, and then uh, New York and L.A. combined. And 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 and, uh, you know, and I believe that a large part is 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 due to the fact that. They've really, in many ways, decimated the police department, not filling uh, critical. We were promised a thousand police officers that didn't materialize. They took, um, you know, by some estimates, well over a thousand positions out of the budget. They decimated the the detectives division. They went from twelve hundred detectives to six hundred detectives. You know, in New York and L.A., the percentage of police officers who are detectives is fourteen percent, I think, in New York, fifteen percent in L.A. The percentage of police officers who are detectives in this system before the ramp up, because now, now he's trying to hire. He, he can't hire police officers fast enough. The problem is they're trading as fast as he's hiring them. And now he's trying to rebuild the, the, the police division, the detectives division. But the detectives division had fallen to 4%. You wonder why you have a clearance rate on, on shootings of 4% and a clearance rate on murders of 17, 18%. And so, so at the end of the day, that's not a record you can run on. Uh, and, and let's talk about the schools. Look, uh, because of the hard work of the teachers and the principals, they've been a- able to weather the, these continuing financial storms. Uh, and, uh, and uh, 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 you know, so test scores have improved, and, 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 and they improved during Arnie Duncan's administration, and they improved during my administration, six consecutive, consecutive years in reading, five, consecutive, five out of six years in math. Uh, and, and it's been done despite the fact that you, you've had four superintendents in seven years. He finally got it right this time. And, uh, so you, uh, so you, you like Janice Jackson? Yeah, of course. Yes, I like Janice Jackson. She's an excellent, excellent educator, but she's the fourth one. If you were mayor, would you uh, consider or, or would you keep her? Absolutely. Absolutely. She's a fine educator. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's, um, but, you know, you shouldn't take, have, have four cracks at it, so to speak. I mean, what did Daly have? Two superintendents in 16 years, the point, or in his last 16 years. But the point is, you know, look what they've done with the school closings. Now, you know, what was their criteria for closing schools? You, you need the right size, the district, but you can't be closing 50 schools when you're approving the opening of new schools simultaneously. So you're increasing overcapacity, and then you're complaining that overcapacity uh, is, is the reason why uh, you have to you have to close neighborhood schools, and I don't have a problem in making those type of tough decisions that they need to be made. But you need to have clear criteria before you're ever going to close a school building. And when and if you are going to close a school building, you need to to repurpose that building. Look, there are tens of thousands of individuals in the community, ages 17 to 40, who are ex-offenders, uh, dropouts, chronically unemployed. I mean, you need education and occupational training centers to serve that very population. Why not repurpose those buildings to provide those services? In some cases, the, that population outnumbers the number of kids in, in most cases in the neighborhood high schools. So the bottom line is 
I don't see any evidence of policy. I don't see a strategy for fighting crime in the city. Certainly when it comes to providing the critical supports, the resources and supports that the police department needs. I don't see any real education strategy uh, when you look at the way, uh, the uh, the really callous way they close schools or the fact that at the time they were closing uh, 50 schools, they were awarding $50 million in no-bid contracts to groups like the Soups Academy. That, Incidentally, a group that has sent two superintendents to prison, one in Chicago and one in another city, or $20 million to a politically connected contractor to manage the closing of the schools or $10 million for some online uh, uh, alternative education program. When you have this very large alternative schools network that I helped create many, many, a couple decades ago, uh, serving this displaced population. So I see a total absence of policy uh, and, 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 and I, I see these agencies, whether it's the police department or it's the school district or being micromanaged by City Hall, not to the betterment of the citizens who those, uh, whose those services are intended to benefit. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is former school CEO and a lot of other things, Paul Vallis, <laughs> who is candidate for mayor of Chicago. Um, You've already given us one idea, uh, and that is about the repurposing uh, the closed schools. But uh, as you said, this is going to be a campaign of ideas. Uh, you're getting ready to, and you were saying you were going to do it every week. And I know you delayed because of the another announcement that right. you didn't. You were going to do something this past week, but give us give us another idea. I mean, show us the kind of ideas that people can expect from you. Sure. All right. Well, you know, let me give you an example. There, there it's, um, uh, let's talk about public safety for a second. Um, you know, what I'm going to do on, on Monday what is, is to present a plan on providing the police department with the staffing that they need, uh, to be effective, um, to maintain beat integrity, to, to have the detectives there. And, and look, one of the things that I'm going to do on, on, on the detective side is not only uh, rebuild the detectives division to, to, uh, to, uh, uh, to 1,200 and reestablish the five, five divisions that are three. It's kind of crazy to have three divisions that only uh, provides uh, a, a longer distance of time uh, when it comes to traveling to crime scenes. Uh, uh, but but I'm going to talk about how to reach out and to bring retired detectives in like they did in New York and other cities because you can't have a clearance rate of 4% on shootings and 17% and, uh, and on, on murders. And, uh, you know, despite their frantic efforts to, to beef up the detectives division, the, the detectives that are joining the division don't have a whole lot of experience. So, so you know, I'm going to talk about uh, st- staffing. I'm going to talk about... Uh, resource utilization. Uh, I'm going to talk about what needs to be done so that you can maintain the integrity. You, you, can, main, you can ensure that police officers uh, are not just being pulled from districts randomly to deal with the latest hotspot, but rather you have a core group of officers that are, that are, are in the districts and, and, and that are, if, if you're going to pay them overtime, you give them overtime to, to provide more policing in those individual districts uh, um, what you need to do is you need to have the support units, the flex units available so that you can target the re- you can target those areas that are high crime without basically robbing Peter to pay Paul. 
I'm going to talk very specifically about training and about when, what needs to be done on the training side and articulate what type of training and, and indeed redundant training needs to be focused on uh, so that, you know, because when you're in the military, uh, uh, commanders are evaluated based on their training exercises. That's the first thing that that is looked at when you go in and uh, I was a company commander and uh, at, at one time when, when I was in the Illinois National Guard and your training plan is constantly scrutinized. And, 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 and in the military, there's redundant training. People are trained again and again and again on, on those same tasks. And, and, and that, that redundant training is what brings accountability and effective command and control. So I, I'm going to talk about, I'm, I'm going to talk about those specifics. And then I'm going to talk about this issue of how to create a, a pipeline so that the next generation of police officers are, are coming from the uh, coming from the neighborhood. So, I'll be offering specific de- detail on uh, on all those things uh, in addition to other things on Monday when I make my presentation, and I'm going to talk about how it's going to be financed. Uh, I I do want to ask uh, something connected to this, but um, maybe happening. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen before uh, there is an election, and that is a consent decree that is being worked out between right now the uh, mayor's office and Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan's office. This is something that's not supported by the Trump administration, but is still going through with the oversight of the federal courts. What do you believe needs to be in that consent decree that would make sense or, or, or be vital for doing the kind of police reform that the city needs to see. Well, you know, let me tell you how you achieve real accountability. You achieve real accountability by making sure that the police have the resources they need and that they have the training that they need and that you have uh, the infrastructure, uh, uh, the, the command and supervisory infrastructure to ensure that there's accountability. Let me give you a case in point. You know, when you're short officers and those officers are operating many times alone and in isolation, you you create the potential for for accountability issues. When you have one sergeant for every 30 officers, as opposed to one for every 10, and that was the ratio that we funded uh, when I was city budget director and Terry Hillard was the uh, 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 police superintendent, you have greater accountability. You know, when you have enough training officers to work with these younger officers, these less experienced officers, you have much greater command and control. You have much greater accountability. Uh, When you equip the police officers with the equipment that they need, working cameras, uh, you're not only giving them tasers, but you're giving them training on the tasers. Look look how many years it took them to, to, to put tasers in the hands of these officers. I mean, how many shootings would not have occurred had that officer been been armed with a taser and been trained on the use of the taser? So, so more important than anything else is you create that infrastructure. You make sure that the police have the resources so that they're not getting worn out, so that the police have enough support. So when there are calls that they have to go to, the backup is the backup is there. You make sure that that you equip them with all the means all the means available so that there are alternatives to the use of, of lethal force. Uh, you have, you know, you make sure that you have the supervisory structure in place with enough sergeants and the right ratios and enough training officers. So you have that command and control. 
That's how you build accountability. That's how you prevent the things from happening that have cost the city uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in, 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 um, you know, in legal settlements. So, so, you know, I think that takes primacy over everything else. I want to switch to education, another area you know a little about. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and I don't want you to tell me all your plans. Well, I do want you to tell me all your plans. Well, frankly, we don't have time. Uh, but, you know me. Yeah. You know. But uh, elected school board? I support a hybrid board. And uh, I believe that there needs to be civilian representation. But the mayor has to have skin in the game. You know, I think ultimately if schools aren't working uh, or if schools are not performing, you throw out the mayor. That's the ultimate accountability. But I believe that there needs to be at-large elected school board members so that you have because the only way that you get uh, real accountability is through transparency. And you're not going to get transparency when you have the mayor appointing every member of the board. So whether it's the police board or the school board, you, you need public representation. But I think ultimately, uh, whether it's the school superintendent or it's the school board president, or for that matter, the police superintendent, the mayor needs to have ultimate uh, needs to have the authority to make those decisions. How do you make sure the citizens are heard and and paid attention to? Well, you know, you do it by giving them a place at the table and giving them access to the information. I mean, if you have at-large members elected to the, these oversight boards. Uh, they're going to have access. There's going to be transparency because you're going to have people who are not beholden to the mayor who are going to be basically uh, who are uh, who are going to be able to access the information. And by that, you know, in effect, create de facto transparency. And that's not what you have now. But I believe these boards need a level of expertise. And and I believe at the end of the day, uh, if if uh, crime is out of control, if you have murder rates <laughs> that exceed the uh, the number of murders in L.A. and New York. And, and if you have a school district that's constantly losing population and is in constant budget crises, I think ultimately the responsibility uh, lies lies at on the fifth floor. Uh, let's talk about uh, any need for revenue for pensions or anything else. Um, when he was here a couple of weeks ago, Gary McCarthy, one of your... Uh, Rivals for mayor wanted to consider a casino at O'Hare Airport. Um, first off, what do you think of the idea of casino uh, casinos in Chicago? And second, what about that airport idea? Well, well, you know, you know, I hate to differ, but you know, I wouldn't support a casino at, at the airport. And I think casinos are a sideshow. First of all, they're not going to be a financial solution to anything. Like the, that's like the lottery. Remember the lottery, the myth of the lottery. Uh, you 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 know you create a lottery. It's going to solve the problems of public education. So look, you know, if the city gets a casino someday, great. It'll probably help with tourism. I mean, there are some conventions that will come here if there's a casino. But uh, you know, I, I wouldn't you know I wouldn't bet my life on a casino, and I don't see a, a casino as offering a revolu- revenue solution to the problems that ail Chicago. Let me say this, uh, uh, you know. There's going to have to be some revenue increases, but what's really important is the type of revenues we seek. First of all, we, we need to have an aggressive, uh, aggressive agenda to make sure that we're getting from the state what we're entitled to. You know, the mayor had, had four years, uh, actually five years, to pursue the type of fair funding for the teacher's retirement system that he finally got in 2017 with a Republican governor. Remember, Quinn was governor for five years. And that probably cost the city about a billion and a half dollars in state pension contributions. 
uh, because they failed to go down there with an agenda. In fact, they did go down there with legislation to extend the pension holiday. So my point, so so the point that I want to make is, is what we've got to do is we've got to make sure uh, that we get our fair share from the state. And, and we also have to look at uh, a, a type of tax and licensing and, and fee and fine policy that is not totally regressive and that and that doesn't and that does not punish working families because that's what we're doing. If you look at the taxes and fees, the, the increase in property taxes, the red light cameras, which were intended to generate revenue, not improve public safety, it's adversely impacting uh, working families. And, and I think we have to look at how we raise money and we have to develop strategies that are going to be more progressive and that lessen the impact on working families, not increase uh, the adverse impact on working families. That is going to be the final (laughs) word. Thank you. Mayoral candidate Paul Vallis for spending the time with us. Good to have you back. Thanks for having Uh, me. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMnewsradio.com. Uh, Just follow the uh, audio links. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.